following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hi, I'm Karen, and today's reading is John 20, verses 19 through 23, can be found on page 883 in your red books. Jesus appears to the disciples when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I love that in the midst of all the discord in the world, we can still return to the words of Jesus, which he said so many times to his disciples when they were feeling so afraid. Peace be with you. When we say those words at the passing of the peace, it's, you don't always think about the fact that you're, you're quoting Jesus. I mean, Jesus isn't the only person to ever say it, of course. Um, okay, so before I give the concluding sermon for this Make Peace um, series, I want to take a minute to talk to you a little bit about Artisan's uh, process and specifically the hiring process for our executive pastor. If this is the first time you're hearing those words, the, the very brief re, uh, explanation is that um, once I have graduated, which is going to happen in like five weeks, um, from my grad program, yes. Well, once again, hold your applause until my capstone project is complete um, and my hours are finished at the clinic. But um, <laughs> my intention, as you I mentioned, I had an interview recently. My intention is to be working in counseling full time starting in January. And so my hours at the church here will reduce by half. And we're looking to hire an executive pastor to come in and, and um, perform lots of duties and functions, including some of the ones that I'm setting down and some that are going to be kind of new and help us navigate the transition and all that stuff. And um, I wanted to tell you as a, the whole congregation a little bit more about the process that we're going to be undertaking for reviewing and selecting a candidate. Um, for receiving congregational feedback and that kind of thing. Uh, after our gallery uh, ch church meeting on Sunday night, we had lots of great feedback at that event. And um, one of the things that I thought was the most helpful for me, pieces of feedback, was to keep in mind that so many people at Artisan have experienced religious trauma and that a particular version of that trauma that's very common comes around pastoral transitions. And, um, you know, I am acutely aware of the fact that artisans have experienced lots of religious trauma. I, I talk about that all the time. I preach in a way I hope that acknowledges that. But I think that um, it might be helpful to reassure you that we in the staff and leadership team and the search committee are all aware of that reality and have been and will continue to incorporate that perspective into our process, um, which is as follows. We've established a search committee at Artisan 
um, that's going to receive resumes and conduct maybe initial screenings uh, for the candidates who apply for this job. This committee does reflect uh, as much of the beautiful diversity uh, of the Artisan Church congregation as is possible with a relatively small group of people. It also includes people who have some uh, HR, hiring, organizational management experience. And what will happen is the search committee is going to receive those resumes, review them, uh, send candidates some follow-up questions when necessary, and then they'll debrief and recommend certain candidates to move on to the next phase, uh, which is the interview phase. And so we'll schedule candidates for initial interviews with myself and Pastor Jesse, as well as a member of our leadership team and at least one member of that search committee. Um, this is one of those situations where you want to have as much uh, perspective present in those interviews as possible, but also you have to remember that um, having a room full of 20 interviewees and one or one, 20 interviewers and one interviewee is um, is neither like healthy nor productive. Uh, and so we'll be uh, structuring the interviews in that way. Um, it is possible that we'll determine that we need a second round of interviews. If so, we'll go ahead and do that. If not, we'll skip, we'll, we'll move to the next stage. We'll, let's not use the word skip about, <laughs> about any part of this process, but we will move on to the next stage, um, which will be to have candidates or candidates join the whole congregation in person. And one of the roles that we're hiring this executive pastor to do is to preach twice a month, uh, as my preaching load will be reducing by half. And so we're going to ask them to come in and give a sermon. Um, and then following that service, where they give the sermon, we'll have an opportunity for some sort of social interaction, like a kind of a meet and greet with uh, the members of the congregation, because some people form opinions really well by observing. Others form their opinions better by having some interaction. And there's people who are kind of all along that spectrum and in between. And so we're going to try to give as much opportunity for the people of Artisan Church to get to know our candidates as we possibly can. It's it's possible that we'll have an out-of-town candidate, and we may need to uh, adjust the, the version of, of that in-person stuff that we do. Um, if you've ever tried to fly out of Rochester back to a major city on a Sunday, it's really, really complicated slash impossible. So we'll just need to be flexible when it comes to that side of things uh, in order to be gracious hosts, uh, mainly. And then... The probably the most important part of the process, which is the process of receiving feedback from the congregation before offering um, the job to somebody. So on Sunday night, our our members at Artisan voted to authorize the leadership team to make that final hiring decision. But of course, the leadership team and the staff want and need as much feedback on our candidates as we can possibly get so that we can make that decision in an informed way. And so the leadership team met Tuesday night following the gallery last week and articulated a specific process for how we will receive that and process that feedback. Um, the main way that this will happen is with an online form that will be accessible to everyone who wants to complete it. It's going to offer every person who wants to offer feedback the chance to do so in a couple of ways by answering questions about a range of, you know, skills and characteristics that, that you might wish to see in a pastor. And then there will be a chance for you to offer open-ended feedback in that form as well, because not everybody likes to uh, be constrained by the list of questions that someone else has come up with. Um, 
You can also, this is always true by, by the way about every topic, but it's especially important for you to know during this process that if you don't feel the online form has given you the chance to say what you'd like to say, you can also email the leadership team, either individual members on the team, or you can email the whole leadership team and staff of Artisan Church anytime you want to by emailing leadership at artisanchurch.com, and that will go to all of our inboxes at one time. Now, if you feel like a conversation would work better for you to uh, express your feedback, you can do that. Uh, acknowledging that there is limited bandwidth uh, for conversations like that, but you can schedule a phone call with a member of the leadership team or of the staff, um, and we would be happy to schedule that with you. This is one of those situations. We are trying to do this in a way that is both comprehensive and manageable. <laughs> you understand what I mean? Um, it's incredibly important to us. I say with full sincerity, it's incredibly important to me and to all of us that we hear from everyone who wants to express an opinion during this process, that everyone feels heard, and that we preserve everyone's feedback accurately, which is why the online form is actually our first suggestion and preference for that, because you get to put things in your own words, and everybody gets to see it exactly as you wrote it. Whereas if you have a conversation with one person, that person is now tasked with the job of communicating that idea back to a whole team of people. And it, there's a little bit of a game of telephone that can happen in those situations. Um, we want to do all of this in a way that is realistic and humane to the people who are receiving the feedback, um, most of whom are unpaid volunteers who are um, limited in the time that they have for this process. So... Um, once that feedback period has ended, the leadership team will gather together with the staff and review all of, the, all of the feedback that has come in. We're going to spend time in prayer and discernment and conversation. And only after all of that will the leadership team select a candidate um, that we move forward toward hiring. So um, that's a more detailed version of the process. I hope that is helpful to all of you. Some of you are hearing it for the first time. Some of you were at the gallery and were kind of wishing for something a little bit more uh, uh, like specific and delineated. And I hope that that's helpful to you as well. Um, this is not the kind of thing that I want to just like drop in everybody's lap and then walk away and expect that that's all you needed to hear. And so I, I do have... Uh, I, I've allowed for a little bit of time to answer a couple of questions right now. I'll just say it this way, though. If you have a question that you feel the answer to which or the response to which would be beneficial to the whole community, please ask it in this context. If you have a specific question that you don't think others would benefit from hearing the answer to, you can feel free to talk to me right after the service today or to anybody else on the team. Um, this is Our aim is to make this process as transparent as we possibly can. So... Um, I'm not trying to suggest that you shouldn't ask a question. However, in limited time, I think it's best to focus on questions that might be of interest to the whole group, if that makes sense. And it can be hard to know. If you don't know, you're not sure, just ask the question. Nobody's going to scold you. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm, I'm going to ask you to use the microphone again because of the same reasons. Is the timeline still um, to make this around January when you are decreasing? Like, is are we anticipating it still being done by yeah. January? I guess is kind of the question I'm asking. I believe in a God of miracles. <laughs> and I acknowledge that that would require one. 
Okay. Um, so the, thank you for asking the question because we, the contingency plan, we expect it's going to take a few minutes past, a few months past that. And um, I do hope to be working sooner than, than we're likely to be able to bring somebody on as a hire. So we have, we already have some guest preachers scheduled for January and February. Um, and we, we have a plan in place for how to kind of bridge that gap in between. Thank you for that question. This one should be really easy for anyone who doesn't know who leadership and or the selection team is. If you're in the room, can you just stand up and wave so that if there are questions, people know who to go Thank talk you. to? Thank you, Tim. Great call. Uh, leadership team members first, if you're here, could you stand up? Oh, yeah. They had an extra meeting last Sunday and an extra meeting on Tuesday. They're all very tired and uh, sleeping in right now. Um, you can find the, the names and photographs of leadership team members on the website in the About Us tab. So um, they're there. Okay, but search committee folks, um, would you stand up? I know that a few of you are in the room. Okay. Yeah. Thank you for asking that. And there are others on the search committee as well. Um, again, full transparency. I, if I would try to remember all their names right now, I would forget some, but... Um, you can ask me and I'll tell you who's on that team, or you can ask one of the members of the team who else is on the team and they'll tell you. But um, thank you for that, Tim. Any other questions? Okay. Yeah. Yes. We are not making a selection of staff and leadership. Thank you for that point. I'll repeat it on mic. Um, it's a search committee, not a selection committee, not a hiring committee. Their, your, their job is the early start of the part of the process. It'll get passed on to leadership team and staff for the actual selection. Oh, yeah. Ben Martin raised his hand on Zoom as a member of the search committee. Thank you, Ken. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sean Scott is also a member of that committee. Kristen Kleinberg is a is a member of our leadership team and she's sitting on that committee. And we had one person who stepped down from that committee for personal reasons. Um, but yeah, okay. Go ahead and bring that right back up. Thank you. Yeah, Brian, Brian D'Angelo is waving his Zoom hand as well as a leadership team member. So if you wanna talk to them, you can join Zoom. All right. Okay, in the limited time we have left, I want to talk a little bit about um, making peace. Today, as I said, we're concluding that making peace series. Um, and by the way, Vila is on Zoom as well. He's our podcast editor. And I'll just say to him, you can include all of what we just did in the sermon podcast for the week, because I want that to go out to everybody who wants to hear it. Um, make peace. Okay, let's do the most important thing, which is to remind ourselves of the key verse and the accompanying prayer that go with it. So uh, if we can put that on screen, that way we can read the prayer or read the verse together and uh, pray the prayer together. I think I sent the slide up this week. I hope I did. If not, I will apologize and we'll go on. Okay. I think it's there. Yes. All right. Everybody take a look at that because I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and recite it from memory in just a second. The, the, the verse part, the bolded part at the top. Okay. Three. Okay. Eyes closed from memory. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. You all memorized the Bible verse today. Well done. Let's pray the prayer together. Let me be one 
and tries to live as a maker of peace. Amen. Right. I'll say it again. So much of the peacemaking that we are actually able to do feels small. Let me be one who's working as a maker of peace. What can I even do when you think about all the things that are happening in the world, the, the things that Austin reminded us of, the things that the news reminds us of, the things that your social media feed reminds you of every day? What we can do to impact those things feels impossibly, embarrassingly small. The peacemaking that seems most important to us is usually not something that we're actually to, able to do. And therefore, my, my argument that I have tried to make over these past few weeks is that focusing over much on those gigantic needs for peace in the world and your job in, in bringing it about, that kind of focus might actually distract you from the the things you actually can control and the places you actually can exert your influence toward peace. And so I say start with what you can do. We started the series by talking about cultivating inner peace. That matters. It matters because if we're not at peace with ourselves, there's no way we can ever hope to make peace with other people, let alone be part of making peace in the world. We talked about the idea of overcoming fear last week, especially fear that is more typically expressed as hatred or bigotry, and that overcoming fear is a legitimate way of making peace. It matters. It matters because fear becomes a convenient excuse to remain at war. Fear gives us a convenient excuse to remain at war, and that I'm talking about the little wars near you, and I'm talking about the global wars. And again, you, your overcoming fear of global war is not likely to have a direct impact on global peace. But overcoming the littler fears, which aren't actually that little, they just seem little by comparison, overcoming those fears, especially when they're rooted in uh, bigotry and hatred and prejudice, that is a valid step toward making peace in your own life and in making peace eventually in the world. I feel very passionate about the real power of this kind of inner work to have an eventual impact, an outward result in our world. And as a matter of fact, for what it's worth, I believe that the people who have skipped this step of uh, internal work toward peace, the people who've skipped that step and then gone on to wield great political influence and power over global matters like war and peace, they often end up doing more harm than good in the long run, even when I agree with their politics. And let's never make that very easy mistake of confusing political alignment with peacemaking. Right? Um, Your social media feed is likely quite harmonious when it comes to your politics. That's because the companies want you to keep scrolling and clicking, and they'll give you just enough stuff to make you angry, usually contained in uh, a comment by someone you agree with. And it feels like the whole world agrees with you in those moments, which is why I think you should throw your phone into the ocean. 
do not mistake political agreement and alignment among your peers with actual peace. It's not. Okay, so today we're concluding the series, and I've got like just three or four minutes to do this in probably, um, which is great. I, you, you know, when I, when I start um, getting into the gallop, it's going to be fun. Um, you may remember that this Making Peace curric or, or series is based on a curriculum that our children's ministry is using, and so their title for this week was Honor Every Living Thing. I'll be honest with you, I didn't particularly find very interesting the content, uh, but I kept the title and moved on with an idea that I think is kind of fascinating. And I'm going to give it to you quickly, and you can uh, tell me later whether you think it's totally out of left field. I want to read to you in a minute the uh, part of the story of Noah and the ark. All right? Everybody in the room, first time in church, thousandth time in church, everybody in the room knows something about the story of Noah and the ark. So... Uh, for funsies, I'm going to ask you to shout out something you know about this story. Just like a, a limit yourself to like three or four words tops. Two by two. What's two by two? The animals, right? On the ark. Oh, yeah, you stole Alicia's. Real nice. Um, there are no unicorns on the ark. Uh, thank a giant boat. Thank you. Lots of cubits. Yes. 40 days and 40 nights of what? Rain, like Rochester in November. Uh, an olive branch, thank you. What else? Noah gets drunk. Now there's a deep cut I was not expecting to hear, but it's in the Bible. Well done. Thank you for... What's that? Dedication. Oh, interesting. Yeah. What else? Uh, well, not everyone, right? <laughs> lots of Lots of drowning, though, yes. Faith, a rainbow. Okay, so we've got this kind of picture, right? We're, we're, getting to, we're getting a little bit of a picture of the story of Noah and the ark. The thing that I'm going to read to you is from Genesis chapter 9. Oh, I see uh, on Zoom, flood and white dove. Thank you. Is, it, this is what happens after the water recedes, okay? It's Genesis 9, 8 through 17, and here's what it says. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, as for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. What do you notice about the nature of this covenant in Genesis chapter 9? It's, yes, it's everlasting. It's fairly wide-ranging. It's not just a covenant between God and the human beings. It's a covenant between God and the entire creation, which is wild to me. How many of you, when you were thinking through what you knew about the story of Noah and the ark, 
remembered that there was a covenant that God made with all of creation. Now, I say, okay, we see one, I see one very smart person with their hand up, very well-educated, um, widely read, but that's not very many people. It's easy to forget it. You think about the rainbow and you think, oh, that's so pretty, unicorns. By the way, it's a bow. <laughs> Don't miss the fact that it's a bow. This is a weapon of war that has been bent. It happens to be very colorful, but it's a weapon of war that's been bent as if the arrow were pointing up into the sky right toward God, saying, if I forget with the promise that I'm making to you and to all people and to all flesh and to every living creature on earth, pierce my heart with an arrow. Seems to be what God is saying. This covenant is not just with people. The Abrahamic covenant, which by the way comes later, which is the covenant that we think of in the uh, Hebrew Bible, the promise to make a great nation out of Abraham and his descendants, is just for people. But this covenant, this covenant after the flood, is for every living thing. Right? And that would be consistent with the story of creation, with one of them at least, with, that in the beginning, uh, God made all of these things. And every day, God made something new, and everything God's new, everything God made, God looked at and said, it's good. Right? So if God calls all of creation good, if God, after this admittedly quite disturbing story, and I'm not sure why this one gets put into board books for what it's worth, um, but after this story, if God makes a covenant with all living things, which God has already called good at creation, what does that say to us as people of God about how we should regard the world? Well, it gives us our title of the day, Honor Every Living Thing. And you might be wondering, what on earth does that have to do with making peace? Well, I think it's a little bit less clear and obvious than some of the previous weeks, you know, uh, cultivating inner peace. Sure. Um, loving our neighbor, like the good Samaritan. Sure. Honoring all creepy crawlies in the whole world. That's a little trickier, but I actually do believe that love for all creation for every living thing is a valid step toward making meaningful peace. It kind of gets you back to the beginning place again of cultivating inner peace in some ways. And it might be the best step for some folks. Listen, uh, we talked about religious trauma earlier. There's all kinds of other trauma in the world and in your past. And human beings might not be the first uh, living things for you to try to make peace with, right? The deck might have been stacked way too high against you for you to go around trying to love your neighbor, right? I think you should, by the way. I'm not saying don't obey Jesus. I'm just saying starting with um, every living thing might actually be an easier starting place for you. Getting out into the world and seeing all that God has made and called good and honoring it as a valid part of the creation, as something that God made a promise to, that might be an easier step for you to take than making peace with the the violent or abusive or manipulative human beings in your life. Don't let that be a cop-out. If you're a person who has, who's not like experienced that kind of truly traumatic thing and it's just like you don't like somebody, I'm not letting you off the hook for that. You might still want to go out and, as they say, touch grass. Um, but you might need to do other work as well. And if, if for you, it 
in addition to that other work, getting out into the world and, and coming to love and honor every living thing might be a, a way of kind of doing that expansive work, right? Because the, the wider you can get this sense of honor and peace and love toward all that is around you, the more likely you are to be stretched into the type of person who truly does become a peacemaker. All right, that's that. I'll leave it there. Um, the covenant with Noah and with all creation as a way of making peace. I hope that I hope that takes root in you in a certain way. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.